0: To the Rituals for Liberation podcast. I'm your host, Fanny Priest. I believe that the massive changes needed to secure justice and wellness for all of the world's inhabitants are possible when our healers and changemakers are deeply resourced, fully embodied, and answering their calling from a place of self-trust. In this podcast, I'll be talking to folks about the daily rituals that allow them to do their big, world-changing work responsibly and sustainably. My hope is that these conversations will help to make sure that the revolution is resource. And now, on to today's show. All right. So welcome, Sarah. I'm here today uh, with um, Sarah M. Chapel, who I'm super excited to talk to, um, but I'm going to let her introduce herself. Um, so, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about you? Can you share your pronouns and tell us what is the work that you do in the world and how do you help people?
1: Thank you so much for having me, Fanny. It is such a treat to be here with you today. Uh, as you said, I am Sarah M. Chapel. I am a tarot mentor and a holistic business coach. And my work is helping soul-centered entrepreneurs to tap it. That's my dog. Her name is Bea. Um, Hi, Bea. She's super, she's super excited to be on the podcast today. <laughs> yeah. I told her about it, and uh, that's a lot of my work in the world, is taking care of this cute dog. Um, but when I'm not talking to Bea, I am talking to soul-centered entrepreneurs who are looking to grow and scale their businesses in ways that actually support them and the people they work with and the wider world by tapping into both intuition and strategy. So I'm really interested in the intersection of the intersection of um, uh, holistic as a concept of like holism, like we're human beings doing things, not robots doing things, mm-hmm. and also uh, making money in ways that is supportive and nourishing, and actually aligned with the way that we want the world to be. Oh, and my pronouns are she/her. And I think I think kind about- of stole
0: your thunder there. <laughs> 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 um, I think we need. I think we need to have a policy of always having dogs on the podcast. <laughs>
1: usually I have like a system that keeps her quiet but because we're doing some some video today too uh she is out and about and just is super stoked about this opportunity to share her story so thank you for letting her yes, come on. Indeed.
0: Yeah I'm a dog person we might hear mine at some point who knows um all right so moving right along so the first question that i want to ask and you kind of spoke to this um already in your in your intro but the question is what does liberation mean to you what is your vision of liberation for the world and how does your work serve that vision
1: that is such a huge question fanny Um, (laughs) And I, I think it's so important for me to say like upfront that I don't pretend to have answers here in like some mm-hmm. big way. I'm also, I don't know if that's what you're asking, but I think I see a lot of folks in my wider space who feel a lot of pressure and myself included sometimes to be like philosophers and economists and to have really deep levels of understanding about everything in order to have opinions. And I kind of just want to crack open the door and be like, I'm not those things. And I still have opinions because I'm a human alive. Um, So when we talk about liberation, to me, that is, (laughs) it's freedom, but it's not a freedom that's imposed. So much of our ideals around what that looks like, uh, you know, thinking in business land, like having a a laptop lifestyle, like not everyone wants a laptop lifestyle being chained to your laptop is still being (laughs) like there's not necessarily liberation for everyone it's about creating your own version of freedom and that's going to be different for me and different for you and different for everyone we work with but to me liberation is that folks actually have a say and have agency in how they're living their lives myself included so that vision then is recentering the agency of both individuals and the collective to find ways where we can all actually thrive rather than being forced into a vision of, of freedom or productivity or like quote unquote liberation that is opposed upon us, which is kind of vague. And I'm still working with it, to be honest, but that's what I've come back to so far. I think, Yeah. And I think you make an excellent point, right? Like none of us are experts in this,
0: but I don't think none of us are really actually called to be experts. I think that the, the point that you make about agency really underscores this idea that, liberation can be we're all experts in our own lives and actually exist inside of systems that reinforce that agency. Um, So yeah, that is super great. So what are the challenges that you face when you're doing that work, the work that you do with your clients? How does your humanity show up in that work?
1: I think one of the biggest challenges is that like perceived lack of agency, you know, and especially as again, as a non-expert, but as a human, um, as we move more and more towards really understanding uh, systemic oppressions and, I mean, just generations of pain, trauma that have influenced all of us in different ways. No no one wins under the current system. Everyone is in pain and suffering. Um, that uh, what I see that's really interesting is a tendency to actually absolve ourselves or, or, or be afraid that we don't have agency or to give it away, the more aware of that we become. It becomes overwhelming. It becomes terrifying. And folks think that because these things have happened or because we live within this kind of system, that we don't have any personal power. So in my work with people, I think one of the most powerful ways to to claim personal power in our current system is to have a small business that you can actually run in alignment with your values, to generate revenue, to create jobs, to create good work in this world, um, and do that from a place of being uh, of your own, whatever your own personal liberation is, right, Uh, within larger ecosystem. So that, that, that feeling that we don't have agency, that we don't have power Uh, and that we're doomed to repeat the cycles that have been foisted upon us, that's actually the biggest thing that I run into. And that shows up in so many ways, but but it really is these subconscious limiting beliefs that have been um, programmed into us from childhood. And we all have different ones, but they tend to have some common denominators based in my experience. And that the self-awareness and the awareness of larger oppressive systems actually exacerbates. So instead of stepping into agency to create change, um, the, the awareness of the lack of liberation in my experience puts a lot of people in a place of feeling like they can't do anything at all. And so they do actually become doomed to repeat those patterns. They, um, they commit to overwork, to hard work and hustle, to being underpaid and, un- and not work, you know, not, uh, prioritizing their own self-care and their own self-worth when in fact, my work is about the opposite. How can we actually create change? how can we release those beliefs address recognize the systems and start to make something new by recentering your personal power and agency within the context of creating community
0: i love this point and i love how it ties into the idea of agency. Um, disclaimer: I'm in Sarah's uh, Holistic Business Academy, which is her amazing membership uh, program. And I don't know if it's going to be um, open for admission when this airs, but get on the wait list. It is super fantastic. But there was a video that you that you put on the uh, in the in the membership site this morning, talking about what to do when we don't know what to do. And your and your suggestion was get into action and do. Do the thing that it is that you're meant to do and I think that it's so easy to look at the sort of everything everywhere and say like how can me small person do anything that is going to start to you know start to 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 make a change and your point that is you do have act, you do have agency you can get into action and focusing on the ways in which we can effect change in the world in these small ways gets to be really empowering and then makes everything else seem a little bit more possible. Like if I've been able to have an interaction um, to, to create some change within inside my business or, or help somebody else wake up to the idea of what's possible for them, right? Then these are the ways that we can actually start to, to move the needle on some of these systems.
1: Yeah, and I thank you for mentioning the membership and I'm so delighted that you're part of it. And one of the things I'm so interested in there and in the work in general is is how how personal liberation is in service of the greater good. And I'm I'm real so many people that I work with and I went through a big period of this myself. We have this this martyr complex, like we have to be miserable and we have to be broke and we have to fear, you know, to give all that we have, or else we're not worthy of of liberation. And I think that that's, it's so uh, backwards and damaging and really reinforcing the existing system that like (laughs) the patriarchal capitalism would be really happy for you to burn out and die in a ditch and not make change. Like you're like, that's like, like when we buy into like martyrdom as the, as the way to, um, and self-sacrifice to the extreme as the way to create change, we're reinforcing it. We're buying, we're buying into that, into that system. And then we will not be well enough to create change. So starting to figure out how can we get into action in small ways. And then what's super cool is that action is actually a habit. It is a habit that can be taught. You can build that up. I didn't spring forth from the womb as a, an action taker. I have, I mean, panic disorder, extreme anxiety, um, bipolar two. All things that do not make action particularly like potent for me, and perfectionism, and having been raised by a family where uh, doing was the only way to succeed, so actually it became not safe because I would would, fear failure. Whatever, right? I got my own shit. I've learned to take action, and I know that if I can do that, others can too. So it's all about just like those first few steps. We feel stuck. The answer is actually is to do something towards those goals, even if it's just. And in that video in particular, we were talking about talking to other human beings cool, right? (laughs) Actually interacting with each other is the answer so much of the time. Yeah, I
0: couldn't agree more. You're absolutely singing my song. Um, I know that for me, moments in my business when I feel really stuck are moments when I'm trying to figure things out in my head, right? Like if I'm I'm, I'm trying to, you've called me out on this before, but I'm trying to come up with like, okay, I need a content calendar. I need, I need this plan. I need that plan whenever I'm, 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 and I mean, I'm a planner girl at heart, right? So I'm not going to divest myself from that completely. And there's definitely a place for it, but I noticed that if I'm taking small action, if I'm sending out an email, if I'm, you know, like billing a client, if I'm creating a piece of content, if I'm showing up on Instagram, not as a consumer and as a scroller, but if I'm actually interacting with my people, then that fog starts to lift, right? The thing starts to be a little bit more possible. And, and to me, that's the, I, I love how you talk about action being a learnable skill and really action is at the level of the body, right? Like w- when we create an action, we're re- literally using our bodies as opposed to living in our heads. And for me, that is the movement, right? That we need to do just like, like individually and collectively is kind of move out of the head and into the body which which leads me into the next uh, next set of questions i love that you you center your own self care so much in in your own business and how you share about your business and and also how you really inspire others and what's possible for them inside of their business right so what are the what is your self-care ritual look like what is like a typical day a typical week in in the life of Sarah the business owner how do you (laughs) nurture your body
1: Well, one of the first things I just want to, I want to share with you, uh, which I'm sure is going to shock Fanny, who knows me, but those of you listening may not know this. I'm not a very embodied person. (laughs) Like that's not my natural state. I am all head. I am all air and fire for my astrology folks. I very little earth, very like embodiment is not a place that comes naturally to me or whatever that is, or hasn't historically. So this has been a really active process. And the first thing is that my body doesn't let me get away with not doing that anymore. I am not gonna sit here and be like, oh, I'm super stoked to have chronic health problems and like whatever like I, but <laughs> my mental and physical health has reached a point in the past several years where i like I'm very high functioning I can like get away with it, but not for long mm-hmm. and that level of lesson and really feeling into what it means to to almost embrace that my body is trying to help me not repeat those patterns of overwork um, and perfectionism. That's the first step is just the acknowledgement that that there's a reason that my body rebels. There's a reason that my body is is calling to me to slow down and that I need to do that. So the the baseline of Sarah's self-care is actually learning how to listen to that. And uh, that for me has been I mean, it, that's probably the lifelong journey like for me to learn. Um, but in practice, what this looks like increasingly is setting up my schedule for success. And by that, I mean being really clear about the days that I work with people, the times that I work with people, the ways that I work with people, because I have uh, many different parts of my business, but most of them are facing people. Those baseline self-care aside. I'm an introvert, so I really need that like alone time, that recharge time, the time with my dog and my books and my knitting or whatever it is. Um, even though I can, I can come and I can talk and I can teach, I don't get energy from people. Right? I get energy from restoration of self. So the biggest thing for me has been stopping trying to make everyone happy all the time by having an open schedule and being super available and started having really clear boundaries about when I'm available. (laughs) For me, that looks like seeing clients three days a week. Sometimes it spills over. But a couple months ago, I actually was like, I need more client time. I opened up my schedule and it filled up immediately. And then I got super sick. I got so sick because I was seeing people five days a week. I was like, oh, self-care is structure for me. So I have a clear schedule for me that's three days a week. And in general, I don't see people until after 2 p.m. in the afternoon because mornings are my most creative time. So I want to put that towards content creation, towards uh, um, marketing and sales work, the things that kind of move the needle forward in the business. And then the afternoon for me is fulfilling on my promises to my customers, talking to them, engaging with them, being in the HBA Facebook group, things like that. With that boundary in place, all of a sudden it is so much more clear how to find room to care for myself. Because I think the biggest mistake that I made was filling all of my time with work and saying, but I'll fit in to the little nooks and crannies of freedom. It turns out that's not how that works. So I have a clear schedule and, uh, oh, and I try to make myself good food. know, yeah, I think that like, I'm definitely not like a Okay, I took a bath today because it's cold and I am, I am becoming more of a bath person, I'll be honest. Even though I've spent years making fun of folks who are like, baths are self-care. I'm like, no, they're not. Uh, they are, <laughs> they're great, okay, uh, sure. Um, but for me, it's, it's so the basics. It's like, I'm in a body, what does my body need? That's mm-hmm. where self-care comes from. And like my body, I have to eat a very, I don't have to, I choose to eat a diet that is more supportive to me. It really helps with the sickness stuff that I have going on. I'm like, sometimes I mess up and then that isn't really self-care for me. I'm not mean to myself. Good food, drink a lot of water. I drink a lot of coffee, but that's not really self-care. That's just, that's just a thing that I enjoy. Did that answer your question? It's hard. Even now I'm like, how do I take care of myself? I I think (laughs) about this all the time. (laughs)
0: you know, one, to me, I think that, you know, self-care is such an, we're such an an interesting place in the self, in the culture with self-care, right, (laughs) to where it's kind of been, like, the wellness industry is very much a product of um, capitalism, and we are very much sold this idea of self-care that is um, quite performative, right, like Instagram, you know, like, I've picked you know posted pictures of my self care on instagram so i 'm as guilty as the next person um, but we 're really still this idea of of self care as as a thing that you do and and a lot of times in the products that you acquire and and I love how you're creating this picture of self care as a relationship and a relationship with with the body and I love that the first thing that you brought up is listening right. And that is the one thing that makes us feel safe in relationships, right? If somebody is offering their presence to me, if somebody is listening to me deeply, and if I know that I'm going to be seen and witnessed and valued as I am, right, then that's how I feel safe. And I think that our relationship with our bodies are are very similar. And if our bodies are trusting that they're being listened to, that really moves them in the direction of wellness.
1: I love that and I've had to really rebuild that. Part of my history is drug and alcohol addiction and I did not listen to my my body for a very long time and um, I'm very aware of the the intersections of my my mental health diagnoses and the way that I move through the world also being a very intuitive and psychic person. All of that, you know, drinking helped help to take get down a couple notches. Yeah. Um, so when I stopped doing that and stopped, um, numbing myself out in that way, and I, like, I re- I really speak to myself about it. Like, that's what I needed to do to feel safe. I couldn't handle what was happening. Um, but now it's, it is, it's like, we're rebuilding a relationship, any relationship where you've broken trust. Um, it, that's, that's how it has been with me and my body over the past few years. And it it's, it's not always a smooth road because we don't always listen to each other. I Ooh. think, uh, <laughs> As Fanny knows, I had um I, I had a major hand surgery a couple months ago at the time of this recording. And um that was another one of these moments where I was like, hey, body slash universe, maybe we don't need to communicate this way, but I was like, but I wasn't listening, you know, and I don't believe that I get like lessons from the universe in like a punitive way. But I wasn't I was sitting there doing the dishes and I wasn't present. I wasn't paying attention to what was happening. and my body communicated me with <laughs> with me very strongly. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's this process of rebuilding that trust, just like you were saying it is it's a relationship.'re oh. we're, we're in process together, me and my body. Yeah. And I mean, that's the way relationships are, right? Like if
0: you, like, I don't expect my relationship with, you know, with my partner to be kind of like a smooth ride all the time. I think that relationships really are a dance of, you know, connection and disconnection, right? Just as growth is, you know, contraction and expansion. I think that we move towards and away from each other and if we expect it to be otherwise, like specifically with our bodies, right? That can definitely be a direction that we take. The conversation of self-care and self-love and body acceptance, which is that I need to be one hundred percent okay and thrilled and excited about everything that's going on with my body all the time. And it's really easy to, it's really easy to form that expectation, and then it's really easy to be. Um, disillusioned from that expectation and feel like oh I'm doing it wrong right like if oh if I get sick then I'm doing it wrong if my body needs to communicate with me loudly then I'm doing it wrong and and I think that when we shift our perspective of relationships as being like no there's going there's going to be seasons and there's going to be this dance and it's a lot easier to be in the moment and to be in the listening and to be in the receiving right like I love how you talk about this injury. It's like, okay, my body needs to speak a little bit more loudly. And instead of, and maybe there was a moment of that. I don't know. But instead of like being really down on yourself, right? There's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. So this is this is the lesson that's here. Not in the sense of the universe sent you this injury to teach you a lesson, which I think is bullshit. But I think that in anything that occurs and that comes up, there's an there's an opportunity for healing and there's an opportunity to make meaning from it.
1: Yeah. And I find making meaning is such a huge part of what it is to be human. And when we, back to the idea of agency, when we get to choose what that meaning is, instead of uh, letting the old patterns or programming or societal conditioning dictate it for us, then we step back into our power. So for me choosing to be like, okay, this, this sucked, this hand thing sucked, like still does all the way around. But i you're right, actually, I haven't really felt terrible about it. I'm like, well, this sucks, but I'm choosing to find a different meaning here, choosing to allow it to help me actually hone my focus. And a kind of surprising side result is that I got a lot more clear about my work because I just didn't have the energy or time to put Mm -hmm. towards freaking out and like self-sabotaging myself. I was like, oh, I have a cast on my, my dominant hand. I, I got to figure out what to do. And it just, it was actually a beautiful gift in that way, where I got to really be clear on what I needed and also what was being asked of me and finding the way that those two places intersect, which is really hard to do if I'm just up in my head being like, you know, a, a full-on shit show all the time, which is, which is kind of my default if I'm not careful. <laughs>
0: Um you talk a lot about tarot for self care right and i'm yeah. I'm curious to hear about your relationship with the cards and and how that relationship you know like helps you make meaning in in moments like this and helps you make the choices that are gonna put you into action
1: yeah i'm a I'm a huge fan of tarot that almost sounds a little silly, but I really <laughs> I mean, it, it's a map of the world. It's one map of the human experience. There are so many different maps and the map is not the territory, but it's a map of the human experience that enables us to create meaning. And I think you can use it whether you are somebody who does believe in spirit work and uh, divine or whatever, or if you don't, right? You can use it entirely as a reflexive or psychological tool. I fall somewhere in between. I am a, a witchy kind of person who, uh, yeah, <laughs> finds, finds all sorts of meaning in things. Um, but tarot for me, what it ultimately has come down to is that it's a tool to help me coach myself through situations and to really ask better questions. So the meaning that comes from the cards is in the redirection out of what my brain wants to believe is true, based on, I mean Like seriously, whatever's in my subconscious or or like, oh, we've seen this before. We know what that means. Just the normal categorization that our brains do to keep us safe and keep us moving forward. Tarot is like, hey, what about this other thing? What about this other perspective? And it's in the questioning that comes up with the cards that I am able to make different meanings. One might even say better meanings, um, at least more uh, considered meanings about what is moving forward. When it comes to things like making decisions or, or really making sure that I'm in alignment, which is a word that I kind of like don't love because I feel like it's been super co-opted and it's like mm-hmm. this way to make people feel bad. If stuff isn't working right, you're out of alignment. I really hate that. But I do know when I'm in alignment because it feels different. It, it, it's it's uh, I kind of, I'm big on dissonance. I was like, we can hold these two weird dissonant truths at the same time. But the cards help me to be so much more clear because they're showing a more well-rounded picture of reality versus what I'm presently experiencing or what I'm naturally able at this point to perceive. So that for me is the deepest level of self-care. It's actually questioning and affirming or changing our experience or our perception of an experience, Um, just like you could do with a great therapist or a great coach. Obviously, not the same thing as working with tarot cards, but- there's this ability to, to shine light in other areas. And self-care for me is about, again, reclaiming agency, reclaiming personal power so that I can be of service. And the cards help me to do that by, by showing a, a more nuanced story. Um,
0: I love to, this notion of service to me fits in so beautifully with um, with the concept of self-care because it really helps to know what we're here for. And if I'm here for service, it definitely changes my perspective on self-care, right? Because self, you know, self, I mean, I think that we're all at this point, like understand that self-care is not selfish on an intellectual level. I think yeah. that there's still, you know, on, on a deep belief level, I think that it's probably something that we wrestle with ongoingly. But but I know that for me, knowing knowing that my you know, my purpose here is for service and to serve other people, and to know that I can only do that responsibly and sustainably when I'm resourced, right? Like when my when my when my system has what it needs in order to function. It really kind of helps to helps to reframe.
1: It does, and I think we can also layer on um, a little bit of harm reduction theory there too, because folks really act as if like self care is like a binary construct. You're either like have the resources to to do to do self-care right or you don't and this is something that is actually it's it's stacking it's not it's not binary so recognizing that you as a human i mean this is i think actually where the real the real problem is are are worthy of not feeling like shit all the time (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right that you're like worthy of being okay um of actually maybe even feeling good if we wanna push it that far, uh, but that we don't have to feel great in order to be doing self-care right, that we can make smaller choices and that resources, like, like tangible resources, resources, do influence people's ability to, to dive deep into the well of self-care, at least as capitalism has it put for us. But when we help ourselves, we are helping others. It's, so anything that we can do to prioritize what we need to be okay, that that's worthy inherently because you're alive and also because that allows you then to be part of your community and to serve at a deeper level. That's just an interesting thing I see. I don't know if you see that come up with people you talk about, but I see a lot of folks who are like, well, self-care is only for people who have a certain amount of money or have a certain lifestyle. And I think we're really looking at it through the wrong lens in the sense that, I, yes, there are limitations perhaps to what can be done, but from a harm reduction perspective, all of us can be supported in making choices again. What we can actually control, maybe we become a little bit closer to being okay.
0: Yeah, I, I love this lens of, of harm reduction. I think it mirrors what we were talking about earlier in terms of you know sort of like glo- global liberation, right? And it can be very easy to be you know very polarized in terms of I'm going to do all the things. Or I'm going to do nothing, right? And and, and it's very difficult to be in the in-between of, well, am I willing to do something small? Am I willing to do something imperfectly? Am I willing to do something that I don't know how it's going to work out, right? But I think that both when we're looking at global systems of of, of oppression and, and social justice, and when we're looking at sort of like the slightly smaller lens of our self-care, again, this point of agency and getting into action and how sometimes it's just really the small actions that can push the needle and really prevent us from like falling into despair, right? Which is the, like, well, I don't have the money. I don't have the resources. I can't possibly take care of my body. And therefore I'm just going to just like give up all agency, right?
1: Yeah. And which is something that I've done a lot, like to be completely honest, I've been like, oh, I can't do this right. So I'm not going to do it at all. And again, that is the same system that says there's one right way to be right. There's one right way to be good. There's one way to be useful, productive, whatever. Um, It's just simply not true. It's just not true. Drinking an extra glass of water every day, that is self-care. I don't care. Like that that, that counts. Taking a nap on the subway instead of playing a video game, that counts. Like whatever it is. Or maybe you need to play a video game because that helps you to calm your mind whatever like it's just i i really am like so interested in the ways that we can again reclaim our power wherever that is for every single person and we may not feel like a lot but we have it we have some always we have choice i believe that i have to believe that
0: yeah that that message come through comes through so strongly um when you're speaking. So this, this leads me to ask about what is your relationship to discipline in your own self-care practice? Meaning, right? Like when do you know that it's time for a little bit more gentleness, a little bit more forgiveness? And when is it time to sort of like enforce a little bit more structure for yourself?
1: For me, this is really about honing self-awareness, which comes back to that relationship to the body. So I am, um, and I don't other folks who, maybe you or folks who are listening, especially who have mental health issues, I'm really acutely aware of when I'm in um, my more, I, I have a hard time even with words for it because they all still sound judgmental or awake within, within some like neurotypical system. But um, with it, um, I'm, yeah, I'll get that within my more typical mind, the one that people expect to interact with, <laughs> like, like this is like a, a normal human, whatever. Um, I'm really aware because I've given myself the space, especially because I'm sober now, so I don't have a lot of other things like floating around in my body um, of when I'm in that place and when I'm not. And I have a very fortunate to live with somebody, uh, my partner who helps me to see when I'm not in that place, who's really supportive if I do miss it. But that's kind of my first step. When I am in a more uh, I mean, stable space for lack of a better term, um, My self-care is very different. And I would say that the like discipline's the funny word because it's what I'm really actively working with. I tend to equate discipline with overwork. That that being disciplined means and that discipline means control. And I'm really working with a concept. Um, actually, uh, Dana Baliki, who's a friend of mine and is a, a brilliant transformational coach, is helping me to work with because this is just not what comes naturally to me. This idea that if I am doing actually things that that flow from what I what I truly desire and what I truly want, that then discipline comes naturally as a byproduct of being committed to to what I want in life and how I want the world to be and things like that. So I'm working on that, which is not the same as control. But that is to say that when I'm well or well-ish, um, I'm I try to be very disciplined because that helps me to continue to be well, and then actually have the habits to support me when I'm not. And when I'm not well, what I try to do is to make really clear choices to the best of my ability. And this comes back to one of my core values is integrity. You know, basically being your word, doing what you say you're going to do. That's really hard when you have chronic health challenges, right? Mm-hmm. We might be like, oh, well, today I feel great, but three weeks from now I you know my i can't talk and my asthma's out of control and i'm like you know whatever right so i create this room where when i'm not well the integrity for me and discipline for me around care and responsibility is making a clear choice yes or no and i'm allowed to say no 110% i'm always like no actually i don't have the energy today to cook myself a nice meal we're getting fucking takeout i don't have the space today to Like my energy level's low and I really want sugar because it's going to help me feel a little bit better and get through this work. And that's okay. But it's about making those choices because when I let things slip and slide and say, oh yeah, well, I'll get to it or I'll do it later or I'll make that happen. That's when I'm no longer in integrity. So that's for me what discipline is about. Is it something that I enforce when I am well so that I have wiggle room when I'm not?
0: That's, yeah, beautifully put. Um, Now, my favorite definition of discipline, which really changed my relationship to the world. And I forget who this is attributed to, but it's uh, discipline is remembering what you want. Oh, that is so good. Yes, it's so good. And it's so hard. You know, I think it goes back to this idea what you were talking about earlier of we don't feel like we're worthy or entitled of, of feeling well, right? We don't feel like we're entitled to have you know, abundance or even like enough that we, you know, allow to have nice things around, et cetera. And so there's this kind of self sabotage a little bit that can kind of fall in when we are starting to feel a little bit better. And there's like, oh, like when that agency and we're starting to step into our power, like that can be like really threatening and we can have like a tendency to, to kind of fall back. So, so I think that using discipline as a way of aligning with your desires is really revolutionary as opposed to discipline from a place of lack and unworthiness. And you're fundamentally not an okay person and you need to whip yourself into shape, you know, that works to some degree, but it really is not going to support us in doing our deepest work. I think that this idea of discipline as remembering what you want and really fiercely and unapologetically, right, aligning with those desires, I think that that's where we we tend to do our best work.
1: I, I The nuance there, I think, is so important too, and I appreciate you you starting to delineate that because what's super interesting is that that perspective which direction we're coming from the end result to some extent might actually be the same right but how we're along we're able to sustain it and how we feel doing it is completely different I um you know I'm gonna just speak really quickly about some of my my relationship to my body and my own health um I have had a you know a lot of challenges with disordered eating throughout my life that's a Big part of my experience. And so much of that comes from discipline as force. There's something wrong with me that I need to fix. And if I can just eat the right way or eat less or work out more or whatever that is, then I will be okay. And then I will be worthy. The flip side of that is the journey I've been on this year, which has been very imperfect, um, especially with my hand injury, which has been a beautiful lesson in self acceptance in the middle of of that, um, where now I'm making those choices from a completely different place of actually feeling worthy. I'm worthy of feeling good right now, which is why I'm going to choose this food, this movement. And when I don't make those choices, it doesn't make me a bad person. Now, I'm not going to pretend to have 100% adherence debt. Those are really challenging um, patterns to break. But they're both disciplined. One comes from love and from what I want, which is to feel as vibrant and as... um, as enlivened as possible, as well as possible so I can help as many people as possible and do good work in this world and enjoy being alive. And one comes from shame and fear.
0: There's definitely enough reinforcement of the shame and fear out in the culture that we certainly (laughs) don't need to add to it. Um, Sarah, what are some of your favorite resources that support your practice? And that's a very broad question. It can be the people that support you, you mentioned your partner, people who inspire you, actual products that you use, what what
1: what is part of your arsenal? Oh my gosh, So much. Um, I'm gonna say something that's a little bit unpopular right now. Instagram, what? That's right. <laughs> Everyone's you like, heard it hey. here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. You know, it is It is challenging. It is hard. It is obviously like our corporate overlords taking advantage of us. It's also one of the best ways we've ever had to be able to communicate with people around the world. And I am grateful for it because I can receive so much support and community. I... It, like, it blows my mind connected to ideas, experiences, people that I would never meet, especially now that I no longer live in a major city and live in the mountains of North Carolina, which is extremely homogenous, awesome people, but like it's not like living in New York anymore. I, like, I'm not exposed to a lot of ideas and a lot of different people. Um, and I'm grateful for that because that level of connection and connection when boundaries are clear that I can choose to have, right? I can choose to engage with. I can choose to absorb. I can choose to learn from. I'm really grateful for that as my practice grows and that so many amazing people are harnessing the power of these tools to create great resources. So I'm going to say Instagram. My partner is a huge part of it. And I say this to him all the time. I don't know where I would be without you. And I don't mean that because I'm not self-sufficient. I can't care for myself, but he makes my life so much easier just by being present, by witnessing, and then also doing stuff like the dishes, since now I refuse to do the dishes since I sliced <laughs> open my hand. Them. Um, and as someone who has, I've always been a very um, do-it-yourself kind of person. Very much like, I can't ask for help. I need to do this right. If I'm good, in, if I were any good, I would be able to figure this out myself. I have a lot mm. of stories around that. So actually letting my partner come in and help me, he'll be like, hey, Sarah, do you need help with that? And I'm like, ooh, help, What's help. No, of course, with one hand, I can open this box. I don't know what you're talking about. That relationship has created so much space and support. Say nothing of the fact that he totally listens to me sorting out ideas like, does this thing work? Does this thing work? Can these pieces fit together? I'm, I'm a high visionary. And even though I have a very logical mind when I'm in my passion for my work, it's like I have to talk it out. The poor guy just sits there he's very kind um, and and then I have a really a really big support team and I think one of the big gifts for me this year in particular has been getting my business to a space where I can actually invest working with doctors and I say that language really clearly I do not want that to be the situation but that is the situation and as a self-employed person I have really terrible health insurance. I mean, just to give you an idea, like I had an entire hand surgery with anesthesia that isn't going to, like, I'm still going to have to pay for out of pocket. That's how high my deductible is. Mm-hmm. That's actually insane, y'all. Anesthesia, yes, hand surgery. What? I was like, what? <laughs> how did I have a have a major surgery that I have to pay for? Um, but being able to, in where I live, go to see a holistically minded doctor. I actually work with people who are interested in supporting me through nutrition and supplements and other things, in addition to the other medicine if I need it. Um, you know, we talk a lot about, I think I hear a lot of people say, you know, talking about therapy, which I think is fantastic, but for me, so much of my challenges are actually are physiological, physiological, and that that actually is what's affecting my mood issues. Um, so being able to invest in that this year has been revolutionary. And when I say I have a team of people, I probably work with like three or four medical or herbal professionals at this point. Um, and not all the time, but that's been a real gift to give to myself. And has also just really, really reinforced for me how there were a couple of years where I couldn't do that. And as a result, you know, my health is worse now. So those are my, that's my reality. Oh, and my dog. She's yeah. <laughs> cool. I, I don't know if anyone else here has depression, but man, there's nothing like a dog to force you to get outside of the house. I just am so grateful for her for giving me a reason to wake up in the morning.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> any advice or recommendations for our listeners who might either want to create or revive their own self-care practice?
1: Oh, start small. Just pick a little tiny micro thing. Like even the word practice is, be- like, I love it because like practice implies like practicing, like we are trying to learn how to do something. Um, but sometimes we like self-care practice and it's like this whole mm-hmm. thing or like spiritual practice. Start so small. I remember when I one of the one of the people on my my team this year was a nutritionist and I remember they were like, you need to be drinking like so much more water than you are. And I was like, I drink water all the time. She's like, no, you don't. (laughs) Not enough. (laughs) Like I I come back to that one a lot because when we have I mean, those of us who are are fortunate to have access to clean water, there's such a simple, basic way to support ourselves. Your body literally needs like a ton of it. Um, choose something so small like that like this isn't about there's no there's no prize the, the win that you get out of self care is having a better relationship with yourself like you are the win your existence is the win so i would just say start super 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 micro small and then celebrate every single second of it our brains have this negativity bias. It's like a five to one ratio, five negative thoughts for every one positive thought. When I learned that from one of my teachers this year, I almost lost my shit. I was like, seriously? And I got depression on top of that? I was like, this is messed up. <laughs> but what it means is that we have this bias and we We miss our wins. We miss the successes. And drinking a glass of water every day, that counts, taking your dog out, that counts, getting out of bed, that counts, whatever it is for you. So celebrating that, I think that is actually the most exciting important and like what a delightful like sensual experience to actually celebrate ourselves so that's my pro tip and how revolutionary too
0: right like that is complete resistance which is like to celebrate our small wins and the ways that we um you know like celebrate our bodies and nourish our bodies that sticks it to the man Um, where can people go to find out more about you and how they can work with you
1: I am everywhere on the internet at Sarah M Chapel. That's Sarah with an H. Chapel has two P's and two L's, so it's like a church, but not because it's spelled totally differently. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can find me there. Come over to Instagram, send me a DM. I love to chat with people because I think Instagram is a tool for connection. Like I said, Instagram is magic. So come weave some magic with me there. <laughs>
0: I think you should definitely go try to weave some magic with Sarah. Thank you so much, Sarah, for being here today. It was such a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much for having me and Bea on. It's an honor <laughs> to be here. And so it's really such a treat to get to speak with you about these important topics. Thank you so much, Sarah.
0: For more information about the podcast, please visit my website, yinyogamagic.com slash podcast. This podcast is produced and edited by Les Weiler.